This is an ABC podcast. We have produced this podcast on Awabakal land and we've spoken to people living and working on Aboriginal land across Australia. We pay our respects to the Elders past and present. Hi, I'm Kurt Fernley, Paralympian and proud person with a disability. And I'm Sarah Shands, mum of a beach-loving kid with a disability. I just love the waves and I can't wait to surf. Can we go to the beach now? Hold on there. We have a podcast to make. The last two and a half years, eh? Yep, there've been a lot. Remember when we were all in it together? Yeah, it's hard to believe that that was less than three years ago. It definitely feels longer than that. But at the same time, in under three years, scientists have managed to develop multiple vaccines and effective treatments for this disease. So while most Australians are back to their pre-pandemic life of coffee with friends, dinners out and holidays, there is a part of the community that's still in isolation. Thousands of Aussies with chronic illness and disability remain at home because even with the vaccinations, boosters and all the medical treatment in the world, if they caught COVID, they could become very sick, maybe even die. This is the reality that Elle Gibbs wakes up to every morning. Her medical team have warned her that if she caught COVID, it would be very bad for her. In November and December 21, she wrote a quarterly essay for Mean Gin about how COVID has changed her life. I often talk about that essay like it cracked open the feelings box. I was very busy when I was commissioned to write that essay and so I wrote a lot of it at like 5 o'clock in the morning and I would get up early and I'd make a coffee and I'd put on very loud music and write. It was the first time that I really thought about the impact of of the previous 18 months and how difficult it was for me. So to actually turn around and write about my own experience, uh, it's not something I usually do and it was very challenging to do. One of the things that happened when my essay came out was a lot of disabled people, particularly younger disabled people, said to me, thank you for writing about how I felt. So I'm. I, I, I know that the way I was feeling was something that lots of people were feeling. It was a, it was, these conversations are common in my community, but we don't have them out loud anymore because no one wants to hear them. No one wants to hear from us. So, yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll read bits and we'll see uh, how we go. The pandemic has been a brutal reminder that disabled people don't matter. Living through this as a disabled person with a very wonky immune system has been a reminder that my life doesn't matter to most. Where I do matter is in my disability community, the community of folks at such risk of this deadly disease who've rallied and worked together to protect ourselves. After two years of the pandemic, of the lockdowns, of the forgetting and the ignoring and the gut-wrenching fear, My nerves are sanded raw, jangling now at the slightest breeze of change. A new variant is announced, restrictions for me creep back in, and I'm left to wonder if this is how it will be from now on. No more music, no more crowds, no more indoor anything really, and no more footy for the rest of my life. I lived in two worlds during COVID. 
one that suddenly got more open and inclusive, where I was asked to talk at events, on television, to Senate committees. I pasted lipstick on and calmed my frizzy hair, adjusting a badly fitting shirt so that I could tell the world that disabled people needed help. Then I would scrub it all off, limp to the kitchen and face the anxiety swarm about there being no food. Non-disabled people talked about how hard being in lockdown was, how much they missed seeing people, how difficult they were finding being on screen all day. This was my life they were talking about, my exact life. I wavered between anger at their thoughtlessness and ignorance of disabled people's lives, but also a sinking realisation that yes, my life is hard. The pandemic has been truly devastating for the disability community, for my community. It has been devastating, Kurt. And one of the biggest issues for people with disability has been the shortage of disability support workers. Before the pandemic hit, it was bad. And now it's at a crisis point. Carl Thompson is the director of Sort Your Support and shares what it's like to be left without a disability support worker. I always hear the gate open and and then my dog often starts barking, so that's a good a good sign that someone's there and then they let themselves in. Hi there. You know, normally my, my partner you know, would be gone by that point because he goes to, to work earlier than me. If there's no support worker around, you know, it'd be a bit of a surreal feeling where I'm, you know, waiting for someone to come and I might, you know, fall back asleep and then realise there's a lot more sun in the room than they're normal and that you know that the hours are ticking along and then I might eventually check my phone and realize that it's you know quite late and then you know I would have had a message on my phone someone saying you know Carl I've got a positive test result but you know can't come in you know so sorry and then I'll have to kind of you know scramble to try and find somebody else who might be available if I don't have anyone come in to support me. I can't really, you know, do much beyond, you know, sit in my bed and and play on my phone. So, you know, I've, I've had, had mornings where it's taken me, you know, hours and hours and hours to try and find somebody to come in and help. And that had meant that, you know, have to, um, you know, really hold on, you know, going to the bathroom, you know, doing some close calls, you know. And I don't want to sound coarse, but, you know, nearly having to, you know, wet the bed and things like that, you know, it's still, quite quite scary and quite um, lonely kind of just sitting there, you know, being at the mercy of, of waiting for someone to be available. Change is desperately needed, but it's not going to be easy. A recent parliamentary report into the NDIS workforce found the sector was facing a shortfall and needed to grow by an astonishing 83,000 staff in the next two years to keep up with demand. The new Minister for the NDIS, Bill Shorten, is aware of this issue and convened an NDIS Jobs and Skills Forum to talk about what's needed to deal with it. He's on the record in a recent ABC article saying, the government was committed to increasing the number of workers in the disability care sector to support participants to live the life they choose. 
The impact that COVID has had on people with disability is so wide-ranging. Vaccines and antivirals have been game-changers, giving most people a good chance of surviving the disease. But we are now living in a time where there are very few public health measures in place to prevent the spread of COVID. So for many people with chronic illness and disability, it means there's a real risk of catching COVID. Professor Nancy Baxter is the head of the Melbourne School of Population and Global Health at the University of Melbourne and thinks more can be done to make our community safer. We need to say we understand this. We have have taken away protections in society that we know protected you. So we need to make sure that you have access to the best possible prevention of, of serious disease. So that would be making sure we inform and provide ready access of disabled people to all the boosters. Uh, and also to make sure there's ready access to antivirals so that if a disabled person is eligible for uh, antivirals and gets COVID, that they you know, have a script in hand or a script at their pharmacy and the drug's kind of on their way to them as soon as possible so that there aren't people with disability that are missing out on that. And also that we make sure that workers that work with people with disability you know, have access to things like N95 masks, know how to use them, have paid sick leave so that if they have COVID, they don't have to make that decision about exposing a person with disability versus feeding their family and that they're still supported testing I get that the world has moved on, but if the world has moved on, they should be prepared to invest in those individuals who are most at risk, actually having something tangible that helps them through this. And Dr Jodie McVernon of the Doherty Institute agrees. I think that's one of the things that COVID taught us was that we'd all got pretty lax about really basic things like hand hygiene, you know, we'd we'd sort of lapsed on workplace cultures about people going to work when they're sick. And, and those sorts of things. And really, you know, I think we've got a clearer sense of our collective responsibility um, and our personal efficacy to protect ourselves from infections through some fairly simple um, behaviours, really, to, to distance ourselves from people who are sick when, when appropriate, but also, you know, how we can reduce our likelihood of contracting infection. And, you know, obviously mask wearing is another adjunct to that that can help to reduce an individual's risk of becoming infected or someone who is infected passing on if there are people that they need to see. So, you know, all of those sorts of things I think are just heightened in our consciousness and I hope we retain those messages moving forward for all infections. So what's needed is a real culture shift where it's okay to stay home if you're sick. But more than that, we need workplaces to see that people can work from home and be productive members of a team. I think people had had an opportunity to prove themselves. So I do think there's much greater room for negotiation and, and that that should continue to be an aspect of workplace cultures. So I know as a parent who works, I've always been happiest and most productive when I don't feel a conflict between those elements of my life, you know, when I know I can do that. And, and obviously self-care is critical, you know, for both mental and physical health needs for people to be effective and, and happy in the workplace. As Jodie McVernon says, we've had the forced experiment. People can be trusted to work from home. So it just seems ridiculous that people are fighting to be allowed to continue doing this. Emma Henningsen works at the Australian Network on Disability. And I speak as a woman with disability as well. So I I know the, I, I, I speak from personal experience when I talk about the need to, I suppose, fight previously for access to, to, the ability to work from home when when necessary to manage disability, to manage chronic health. For years, we were told that wasn't 
an option. We were told it was untenable and um, ultimately it was found that as soon as uh, everybody needed to do it, that we all kind of worked out how to do it. Um, I think businesses in terms of maintaining their inclusion and maintaining their kind of diversity uh, and supporting people with disability just need to remember that we've we've had the capacity to provide adjustments. They're not actually that big a, a, a leap for organisations to provide and that people with disability have the right to access adjustments to complete the, the essential requirements of their role. What an amazing opportunity we have right now to not take the easy road to go back to the good old days of slogging it out at the office with a couple of cold and flu tablets on board. And this kind of cultural change will be a step in the right direction for creating a more inclusive society. But as Earl Gibbs points out, that's not the direction we're heading. It just feels very difficult when we increasingly are having in-person events to talk about disability you know, I was talking with one of one of the people that I'm working with about a potential in-person event in a few weeks' time in Canberra and, you know, we talked about how to make it safe for me to go because it's an, it's an important event for me to be at. There is no online option. As Australia opens up and restrictions are decreasing, community transmission will also likely increase. So what does this mean for people with disabilities? Well, there's an inquiry underway being chaired by Dr Mike Freelander, an MP who also spent many years working as a paediatrician. One of the things I'm interested in, uh, are are people with disabilities more likely to have COVID, non-COVID? And if they are, is there any protective mechanisms we could put in place that might help them get out into the community rather than stay cocooned at home? With COVID here to stay, this inquiry will look at what measures can be put in place to protect people that are at higher risk of becoming extremely sick or even dying from COVID. So Mike, what kinds of measures are you looking into? I'm convinced there are things we can do and that that may range from things like improving air quality and, and in workplaces to Maybe there's some areas where we should be wearing masks to protect people who have risk factors in healthcare, more um, hospital in the home, ambulatory care type services, taking pressure off our hospital emergencies where lots of people gather who have infections. You know, all, all those sort of things can help. And I'm sure there are some quite systemic ways we can, we can manage this better. Uh, and the purpose of our inquiry is to actually Give that advice to government. Without preempting the findings of the committee, what kinds of measures are you looking at? So I, th- I think it's really important we do look at at-risk groups and see what we can do to protect them and indeed actually find out who are the major at-risk groups. We, we know some, as we've said, people with disabilities, but also people who may be immunosuppressed. So I, I don't want to have to tell people to isolate more and more. I don't think that that is a good thing overall for people's mental health and physical health as well. So in this time of COVID, let's not lose sight of the why. Why do we want to create a community that all people can safely live, work and engage in? Emma Henningsen reckons it's a benefit for everyone. You want a diverse workforce because... You get diversity of thinking, you get diversity of knowledge and experience. And people with disability come with 
incredible experience, incredible knowledge, incredible abilities and resilience. And you want us on your team. You want us there because ultimately you want us at the table so that we can create change within your organisation. If these last two years have taught us nothing, it's that organisations have the capacity to switch everything around if they need to. For years, people with disability have been campaigning, requesting, demanding flexible work arrangements. And we've been told time and time again that it can't be done. It's too hard. But the pandemic showed that it can be done. So let's not fall back into old habits. Let's take the things that we've learnt over the past few years and do better. Well, that brings us to the end of the very first season of Let Us In. Kurt, what do you reckon? Where are we at with disability in Australia today? We've made some huge leaps forward with housing policy. Most new builds from 2023 will be way more accessible. But we still have a segregated education system and there are near daily stories of discrimination by airlines and airports towards people with disability. So while we're making progress, there is still a really long way to go in some key areas. One thing I found remarkable about talking with people from the disability community about all of the different issues that we've covered in this first season was the esteem that they hold past advocates and activists in. I think the phrase that I heard time and time again was, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And that to me shows just how this community takes its history seriously and wants to celebrate and acknowledge all of the hard work that has been done up until this point. I love that about the community. I I, I think that is actually born out of the community only fighting the battles on their own. Like, out of that isolation has been born this really, really warm culture that just respects all the battles that have happened in the past because also we know that there are plenty of battles to happen in the future. I want to thank everyone that has helped shape this podcast and also thanks for listening to the battles and thanks for being a part of the next one and keep an eye out for the Auslan versions of this series of let us in they'll be out later this year this podcast has been produced with the support of the melbourne disability institute and the university of melbourne the executive producer is sarah shans of 0.5 Productions. that's me fact checking by lisa herbert big thanks to blythmore phil ashley brown simon scoble and nicole bond sound engineer is the brilliant grant walter got a minute Dip into StoryStream for quick, easy, real stories from across the country. I was only 11. Apparently I was qualified to be the translator. When you're part of a team, you do it because you love it. Even now, I just get a little bit giggly thinking about it. Oh, it's just so exciting. Continuous, skippable Australian stories, exclusive to the ABC Listen app. I was going to say something else then, but anyway. (laughs) Blip. Look for StoryStream on the home screen of the ABC Listen app.